Okay, hey everybody, and welcome back. It's another episode of Not Suitable for Anyone. And, uh, you know, once again here today, I'm joined by a special guest, and I'm really excited to talk about this movie today. Uh, this is uh, probably, to this point, I think maybe the uh, the oldest movie uh, that I've covered uh, with a 2009 release date. Uh, but it is the uh, science fiction or sci-fi horror film Interplanetary, and I'm joined by the uh, writer, uh, director, uh, producer, editor, all things uh, for Interplanetary, uh, Chance Shirley. Chance, hi. Hey, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate you. Uh, really appreciate you, you uh, jumping on. Um, this uh, this seemed like a uh, uh, very much like a like a like a family affair, like a uh, a, a really sort of well orchestrated uh, home movie. <laughs> yeah, that um, that that's that's the way it plays. Uh, you know, we were talking before we started rolling. That's the way it plays for me when I when I watch it now. You know. Um, a very a very big elaborate um home movie but um but yeah it's it's uh it, it's it's hopefully people have a good as as good a time with it as we had on the good days when we were making it <laughs> that's great that's great yeah and uh, it's it's something that i really like and i think i think it's really important to to start you know sort of right off the jump and say uh you know this this is i this is a comedy uh, yeah, I think I, I've seen it described as sort of like, you know, like Office Space, you know, meets, um, you know, Ed Wood or something like that. It definitely has that kind of a, that kind of, uh, you know, sort of classic uh, sci-fi charm. It, it, you know, in in the right context, it can almost play like maybe like a parody of an episode of, uh, of the old Star Trek TV show or something like that. But uh, but. Definitely, you know, sort of a, a, a you know, sort of a full-on uh, sci-fi horror comedy here. Yeah, um, you know, one of the uh, a friend of mine who uh, is also a filmmaker, uh, he said it was Office Space meets two thousand one, which is maybe the nicest thing anybody's <laughs> ever said about a movie that I've made. Um, but I think that he was being generous because he's a really nice guy. Um, you know, Office Space meets an old episode of Star Trek is probably more accurate and. Uh, my, it was funny, my sister, um, our, our Interplanetary is my, my second feature. Uh, my first feature I, I co-directed with my, my good friend Chuck Hartzell, and it's called Hide and Creep, and it's a small-town zombie movie. And when my sister saw uh, Interplanetary, the, the second movie, she said, you know, it's funny, Chance, your first movie was about where we grew up, and your second movie was about the things we watched on TV when we were growing up. And I was like... I was like, oh my gosh, my sister just completely encapsulated this movie, <laughs> you know. Um, though in all honesty, um, you know, it, uh, you know, I'm not going to pull any punches on my, my failings. Um, it came out a bit campier than intended. We were, um, did you ever see Space 1999, the 70s TV show? Oh gosh, yeah, I mean, I've, I remember seeing it a very long time ago. I've seen, you know, sort of yeah, bits and yeah, pieces, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, and, and it's in, um, you know, it's on one of, it's on Hulu or something these days. So I'll, I'll check out an episode every now and then. But um, Space 1999 is actually, even today, um, looking back at it, it's like it was made in the mid 70s. It's a gorgeous TV show. The, the, the special effects and the sets and everything are just really well done. And that was kind of the vibe we were going for was like kind of a mid 70s, you know, mid budget sci-fi thing. And being that we didn't actually have that kind of money and we just, you know, financed it on my credit card or whatever, we ended up with a lot more of a kind of, uh, you know, uh, Star Trek, uh, the original series, uh, like on a on, on a bad day. Um, there, there's one episode of Star Trek uh, that 
that well i mean I'll, i love a lot of them but there's one episode where spock and this ground crew go down to this planet and they're wearing these spacesuits and it looks like they're just like like draped in like basically like like shower curtains you know and and <laughs> and that's what happens that's what happens sometimes on inter you know there's some things on interplanetary it, i say this about all the, the 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 no low budget movies i've made there are there are, are scenes that occasionally that you pull off and you go wow if i'd had 20 million dollars i could not have done that any better you know and then there are the scenes that you don't pull off and you're like, oh, man, I wish that we had $20 million that day because <laughs> it just didn't come together. I mean, that's that's sort of the uh, the nature of low budget filmmaking, I think. Um, but I think I think you guys squeeze sort of every every dollar that you, that you could. And I, and I have this I have this kind of this recurring theme. I think it's come up on this podcast um, and it may not seem that way to people listening because these these episodes might air out of order. But as I've been talking to people, I, this recurring theme is that I think that art art works best when you have limitations. Absolutely, absolutely, and and um, I think that I mean it's the old, I mean it's the old cliche about you know necessity being the the mother of invention or whatever. Um, that being said. Um, Oh my gosh, we we could talk. I mean, I could go on for hours and hours just about this this kind of this kind of concept. But you know, that being said, I, I think that you know, honestly, um, going back to our, our first movie, our first movie was basically um, not the Living Dead, but but like supposedly funny, you know. Um, <laughs> and even down to the way that we did like the zombie effects in that movie, they were very simple very much inspired by Romero's movie where it's just, you know, for the most part, it was a lot of grease paint, you know, and, 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 and paled out eyes, you know, the zombies weren't nothing like you see on like the walking dead or anything with like these amazing, you know, you know, uh, zombie effects these days. But, and, and there are people who, who, who complain about that, you know, when they, when they see the movie, but a lot of people like that movie and they get it. And, and it's very much a, a movie that we understood our limitations. You know, we've got this much money and we've got, you know, this much expertise and we've got this much equipment. And, you know, we're going to make this movie um, and and, you know, if anything, interplanetary is kind of uh, a, a, a result of of my hubris. Um, the first movie uh, was we didn't know if we could make a feature film. when We made our first movie, you know, and so um, we we just we just went for it and we got lucky and, and we finished the movie. And then the movie got picked up by the Asylum, and, and you, you might know the Asylum. You know, they do a lot of, they do like those Sharknado movies and all that kind of stuff these days. Um, right. But back then, back then the Asylum was mostly doing mockbusters, so they were doing, like they put out their own War of the Worlds to compete with Tom Cruise movie, you know, that sort of thing. Anyways, they picked up Hide and Creep, um, and, you know, it, it, it went to like all the blockbusters and all the like Hollywood videos, because that was a thing back in 2004 or whatever. And um, and it played on the Sci-Fi Channel a couple of times, which we just like like blew our minds. We had no idea that you know that that movie would ever get anywhere like that. And so when we got done with that, I thought, well, I know how to make movies now. And so I wrote this insanely ambitious script, you know, and 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 it was it was it was not nearly as successful <laughs> as our first movie. <laughs> and and um, well successful you know financially i mean we can you know we can argue about whether or not right. it was artistically successful or, or creatively successful but but it was it really was you know that was a, a, a big lesson that i learned there was that um and and even then you know i i, I was I, that script as, as as even though it's a lot more ambitious than our first movie i still thought that i was kind of working in 
in in in a in an area of limitations but i I was just more i was more limited than i realized you know um it really took me you know it took the the first feature that that we made um and 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 when i say we you know i'm talking about the the guys that live with that live around me in alabama that are crazy enough to go out on weekends and shoot movies with me you know we never went to to film school or anything like that We, we we started making movies the way a lot of indie guys do just doing it on our own and um and 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 you know, from from me, you know, me growing up as a filmmaker, um, that first movie, you know, I made convinced me that I understood filmmaking, and then I had to make that second movie to realize that I just understood how to make those two movies. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I'll, I'll always say now that you know, if I had to make any of my movies over again, I could make them twice as good for half the price because I've because that process of 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 you know, jumping out of a parachute and knitting or jumping out of an airplane and knitting, and knitting the parachute on the way down, you know, you learn a lot of hard lessons in a hurry that way. So, so, it, so, so, so when we finally got around to making our third feature, I think that, that I had, I had a much better understanding of, of, of my limitations and, and, and what I could, you know, get out of, of whatever, whether it was the equipment or, or the crew that I had that day or the actors or, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's always, um, it's always humbling to show up on a low budget movie set, you know, and, and, and see what happens for the day. It's, um, you have good days and, and, and you have bad days. And, um, and, and, um, but, but again, it's, it's, it's always, it's always humbling. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet, um, I bet. So let's, uh, let's, so let's get into the movie a little bit. Um, so this yeah. is like where I said, it's a sci-fi movie. It's, it's from what I can tell from, you know, sort of watching and paying close attention and, and reading the credits. This is, this movie is set in around 21 and uh, in 2182 in the interplanetary. Wow, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I had, I had figured out in my head at one point where, what year the movie was set in and then I had forgotten. So 2182 <laughs> is probably about right. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, uh. The uh, so there's a there's like a corporate one of those corporate videos that feels so authentic to someone who like myself who grew up in the 80s and 90s because you used to see you used to see little film strips like this um, you know and and right. which were probably made you know in like the 60s and 70s in like the 60s yeah yeah, yeah. and so I so I just freeze framed and I'm like and I looked at the copyright date and the copyright date was 2181. And then there's a point. There's a point later on in the movie where, like, they, you know, one of the guys like finds like a list of all their names, and it says like all these people need to be dead by you know by September one of eighty two. And I'm like, okay, so so this is so it's twenty one eighty two. We've established this like this base on Mars, um, and. Uh, it, oh, and I should break. I should. I should sort of interrupt the the flow here and say that I asked. Uh, I asked my friend, uh, who I think is your friend also, Jeremy uh, Burgess. I asked yeah. him. I said, you know, is there anything anything you want me to ask? And he said, well, can you ask him? Can you ask him where he filmed this movie because it, it looks dope as shit? And I said, well, Jeremy, if you watch the credits, it says it's filmed on location on Earth and Mars. So I assume that he filmed oh. it somewhere between Birmingham and Mars. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the story. Um, I'm I'm a big uh, John Carpenter fan, and um, there's there's obvious. My, my wife, the first time she read the, she's also my producer. The the first time she read the script for Interplanetary, she said like John Carpenter's going to sue you. You just ripped off the thing and put it on Mars, you know. <laughs> and that's not entirely accurate, but 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 I did I did pay some homages there, but. Um, 
John Carpenter was talking about the thing, and you know the famous blood test scene in the thing where Kurt Russell's testing everybody's blood, you know, right. and the blood jumps out and scares everybody or whatever. Um, he said that when he read the when he when he read the screenplay, he saw that scene. He was like, "I've got to make this movie." And and so my gag um, that made me want to make Interplanetary was when I figured out that in the closing credits, I was going to say it was filmed on location on Earth and Mars. I was like, that little throwaway gag that like five people are going to see is <laughs> is what really inspired me to like you know get fully on board with the movie. But in actuality, we didn't really do any shooting on Mars. Um, we shot um, no shit. The uh, the yeah yeah no shit the uh, the the sets um the 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 sets which is where like like Mars Base Two is um they're the kind of Star Trek sixties you know card or not cardboard plywood looking sets um we shot those in Leeds Alabama there's a, a haunted house out there called Atrox Factory and um they basically like have this big um like open warehouse area that they use for like basically where people are just kind of hang out while they're waiting to go into the haunt. And um, one of our, a couple of our actors actually that were in the movie were working out there at the time, so they got us into into to there. So we basically used that 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 uh, warehouse part of the haunted house as like a, a soundstage. Um, and of course, it wasn't a real soundstage because there were so many like motorcycles and stuff driving by outside. So we had so many busted takes where we're supposed to be on Mars, and you can hear like traffic outside, you know. <laughs> um, and then all the outside kind of desert-looking scenes, most of those were actually shot in a in a rock quarry. Um, Alabama is very geo, geo, geographically, geologically um, diverse. We don't have any deserts in Alabama, though, um, but we do have you know rock quarries. And there's a rock quarry 15 minutes west of Birmingham um, that let us shoot, and we would just find. I mean, they were ba- they're basically out there blasting, you know, mm-hmm. and so they would basically blast an area, and it would just be sand and dirt and rubble, and we would be like. Hey, if you point the camera there, you can't see any trees or any vegetation. It looks, you know, deserty. So, right. and plus we did like a red wash on everything to kind of even it out. So, yeah, so, you know, to make it a little more Marsish or whatever. Yeah, I was gonna say um, like between the color palette and the and the uh, and the, you know, the, the 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 rocks and everything, I mean, it looked like it looked like a quarry and stuff. But it looks, I mean, it it looks legit. Like it looks like you're on, you know, an alien planet, and it's probably the same principle. Like when Star Trek would go out and film at the uh, like Vasquez Rocks and places like that. Very much yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, Vasquez Rocks is. I mean, you know, that's that stuff is so iconic, you know, um, and, and and beautiful as opposed to just you know some. Ra- but you know, the craziest thing about shooting in a rock quarry too is you know we were shooting weekends, so we'd be out there one weekend and we would shoot in an area. And we would get it like, you know, half done. And we're like, we'll come back next week and finish it. So you come back next weekend and they blasted a bunch of stuff and everything is different. <laughs> so it's like, oh, we've got to find another hill that looks kind of like this hill now and everything. Um, and and other than other than those two areas, um, we actually did go out to me and, uh, and Stacy and John White, who was uh, the other producer on Interplanetary. Um, we took a vacation out to Vegas, and I packed my 16 millimeter camera uh, in my carry-on bag, and um, we drove out to uh, like a basically like a dry um, what do you call it a dry um, uh, like a like a dry salt lake bed. You oh, know? Okay. And um, so so there's like there's like one like really wide shot in the movie with it with like an astronaut kind of slowly walking toward the camera. I was gonna. Say, and we actually yeah. shot that in, in in Vegas in a real desert, oh, okay. and, and that's actually my producer. That's my producer, John, standing in for Chuck, uh, who is one of the lead actors. And it's funny because John, Chuck is probably like a foot taller than John, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, you put the guy in the spacesuit with the, with the tinted, with the tinted, you know, bubble and everything. And, you know, it, it's, it's no, nobody's ever complained about, you know, me using a short extra for that. Right. So, um, 
So yeah, so so we we and that's we, that's my favorite like shot was, in the movie too. By the way, that, uh, oh well, 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 thanks. Yeah, you know, and occasionally you get an idea in your head like, oh, we'll have this badass shot of the astronaut walking across the Mars plane in slow motion, and and you actually shoot it, and you're like, hey, that kind of came out like I wanted it to, you know. So um, it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty decent shot. Um, so yeah, so um, so it was it was it was honestly mostly um, mostly Alabama, which is where you know we've shot. You know, I think of, of all the features we've done, I think other than that little bit of stuff we shot out in Vegas, you know, we've shot everything or, you know, probably all within an hour or two of Birmingham. So, so that's our, that's kind of our thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really awesome. And then, uh, yeah, cause I like that surface and the color palette, I think really, really sells it. Um, but then you've also got like these underground scenes. It looks like it's like you're in oh, a cavern, and, um, and 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 I forgot. To, I, I've, yeah, you, you you know this movie. I have, it's been a while <laughs> since I've watched it. You know this movie better than I do at this point. I'm really impressed that you picked up on the year theme because at some point I had spent a lot of time like calculating that because it would had to be like when Earth and and Mars were in opposition. So I was like looking at almanacs and stuff, trying to figure out when in the future that would happen. You know, and and um and then I, like I said, I forgot about. It. But yeah, so also there's some caves of Mars, and those are. Uh, the famous DeSoto Caverns, which are a state park in Alabama, probably, um, I don't know, like maybe an hour, hour and a half south of Birmingham. Um, and that was one of those crazy situations where, you know, we had to pay the park uh, to come in and shoot. And they had a, a handler there um, to k- take care of us. But we were shooting at night after the park had, had closed to tourists. And he basically was like... All right, uh, you guys call me when you're done, and I'll come and lock up. <laughs> so, so we just kind of had like free reign of of DeSoto Caverns, um, and they actually have uh, because it's a it's a touristy thing. They have like lights and stuff set up inside the caves, and like some electricity and stuff like that. So we were able to we were able to take advantage of a little bit. We were we were basically able to to cheat some of our lighting using some of the, like tourist you know lighting that that they've got inside the caves there. Um, and then there's also like an underground, uh, Mars base, which is, which is quote unquote Mars base one. Right. Um, that is actually, that is actually an, a couple, we used a couple of industrial buildings that are out at that rock quarry I was talking about. So we got, we got really lucky with that rock quarry. They let us shoot out there for free. They had all this great, like desert basically, you know, um, or, you know, fake desert because of all the blasting. And then they had these old um, buildings that probably haven't been active since like the eighties, the 1980s with, um, th- there was like an old electrical generator house. Um, and they're like mills, you know, that sort of thing, like, like just big industrial buildings. And, um, we would, you know, they, they weren't actually underground, but we would shoot out there at night. And at that point, you know, they might as well have been underground because, you know, there's no sunlight or anything coming in. So, um, any other locations that I'm forgetting about now that we're, um, talking about it? No, that no, that's, I think, I think that, cover, that covers, that covers pretty much the, uh, the basics. So that's most of the movie takes place in those, in those spaces. I think, you know, probably most of the runtime is in Mars Base 2, uh, or Mars Base 1 or the, uh, or the spaceship, um, Oh yeah, and and well, and so the spaceship. Um, funny story there. So um, I've got a, another friend in Birmingham who who makes you know indie science fiction films. You know, in his spare time, I got him Hunter Kressel, and um, I haven't talked to Hunter in forever. But at the time, I knew that he had made a movie. Um, that's uh, that's it was it was like a long short film, and it was had this gorgeous spaceship interior in it. And I called him up, and I was like, Hey, Hunter. Because I knew he was the kind of guy who didn't like build like really cool stuff like that and throw it out, you know. And so I called up Hunter and I said, "Hey, do you still have that that spaceship interior set?" He's like, "Yeah, I've got it broken down so that it basically f- collapses to like f- 
four like pallets. Hmm. So basically all, all the walls kind of end up falling in on each other and it kind of stacks up, you know? And, um, and so it, it's, 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 it's probably, it's, it's like a, it's like a big cockpit, I guess, for people that haven't seen the movie. It's probably, you could probably squeeze four people in there semi-comfortably. Um, but yeah, so that, so, so that was, um, he put it back together for us and we just shot it in his basement, you know? Um, so, so that was that set. And, and it was, it was, you know, the, uh, uh, a lot of indie film people are familiar with Robert Rodriguez, his, uh, Rebel Without a Crew book where he talks about making El Mariachi and, and, um, you know, one of the big lessons from El Mariachi is, uh, you know, figure out what you have available and kind of write your script around that. And, um, and, and when I wrote that spaceship scene in the back of my head, I was thinking, hey, I bet Hunter would let us come in and, and shoot, you know, in his spaceship set. And he did. And and that saved us. A, it saved us having to build our own set for that. And B, the set that he built. Like I said, it's a really cool set. Um, I don't know how much detail you can pick out in the movie, but um, it's it's really, really well done. Um, it's got a lot of practical lights built into it, you know, and that sort of thing. So um, so that was that was really handy for and and a lot of people, you know, this kind of thing in Hollywood, of course, that you could just go down. Oh, I need spaceship set number four and you go pay a thousand dollars a day or whatever and use it. Alabama, you don't necessarily have access to that kind of stuff right. unless you're friends with Hunter Kressel, and then you might be able to get in on it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that set a lot. I mean, I wish um, it, it's probably like like runtime wise is probably like the 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 least amount of time of of any of these sets but uh but it is it is really cool um so but let's talk about mars base 2 a little bit because that's where most of the i think that's where most of the movie takes place and we see yeah uh so um you know we get we get kind of a good introduction to that you know after the after sort of the opening stinger um you know you get kind of this corporate this this sort of uh you know this corporate like you know welcome to the company type orientation video uh, that feels very authentic, and then the set looks like, you know, like a like a space station or you know like a like a foreign like a like a on a moon like a moon base or a or a you know an, an alien planet sort of base that you would see in a science fiction movie from the seventies or eighties, um, you know, right down to like like the like three ring binders on shelves and stuff that you know it, it's kind of like silly to think that that you know exists still in 2182 but in you know in in the 70s and 80s we probably <laughs> couldn't really see past that and you really did see stuff like that you know in in science fiction films and there's several moments where um you know one of the characters usually lisa you know sort of goes over and pulls a three ring binder <laughs> off the shelf and says well because well. she's always she's by the book literally so she has to go get the book and you know that's that's i'm, I'm glad you pointed that out um the the version like I said, even though that I don't think we necessarily we necessarily pulled it off, you know, it, it gets it gets it gets a little campier than than planned, um, you know, on on occasion. But the 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 version of the future that we were trying to create was 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 like the nineteen seventies, you know, like like I said, it was that space nineteen ninety nine look. So I don't know if you noticed, but um, there are several in the main like kind of control center for for Mars Base Two. There are several like like monitors, like computer monitors, mm-hmm. you know. Um, those are all LC- those 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 aren't LCDs. They're they're like old CRT monitors, right. and and that was a real that was a, that was a deliberate choice. Um, it always amuses me to look back at a movie like Alien with all this like this amazing ship and this this futuristic technology, and the guys who thought about that never thought past like CRT monitors. You know, they were like, well, of course they'll still in five thousand years in the future they'll still be using these flickery you know <laughs> cathode ray tube monitors. We got we got dot um, matrix printers. And, yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's 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 that sort of thing. And 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 even now though, honestly, um 
there's um it's it's one of my weird nostalgia things there's something really great about the way that a that a that an old analog crt monitor looks on film as opposed to um like i said an lcd monitor or you know a more modern you know uh, you know monitor that 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 doesn't have the flicker and that sort of thing and honestly it's so rare in in movies these days it seems like that they just basically anytime you see a, a, a tv on the movie they basically just had a green screen there and they they repainted it in post you know um, right. i really miss that kind of tactile look of when somebody sat down to watch a tv in a movie from the 80s the actor was literally watching a tv and you're just seeing the tv on film you know it, it, it's 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 one of those things where i understand that it's easy to replace it in post but it it just doesn't look the same and and i'm probably one of like maybe like literally the only person in the world who cares, you know, what a TV on film looks like. But, <laughs> but it, I was, I, even like Tarantino's last movie and Tarantino obviously pays a lot of attention to detail, but the scenes where Brad Pitt was watching TV, I was like, ah, you know, it just didn't look, it didn't look like he's really watching TV. <laughs> well, well, and any, anyone who's ever like taken a photograph, uh, like in a room with a TV, or something, or tried to shoot video like on an old VHS camcorder or something with a TV playing like in the frame. Like you know that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't photograph like nice and crisp and clean like the way no, the way that you see it. Yeah, it's 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 because of the well, I, I won't bore everybody <laughs> with the technical details, but basically there's a there, there's a different the, the the film camera and the TV are kind of on different different refresh rates for like a right. better word. So you end up with like a there's a flicker and there's kind of a banding that you get sometimes too. Um, the the banding well. We we could literally have a whole a whole really boring conversation about the way that filmmakers make TVs look good on camera or don't make them look good on camera, but um but even even the cleanest um you know even the cleanest TV shot uh, on a film camera is gonna have like there's just a there's there's a weirdness to it. it 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 doesn't look quite like the way you think it looks when you when you watch one in person you know and and that's just one of those weird little things about film um that I've always that I've always liked and, and, and really wanted to kind of, you know, make, especially, like I said, looking at science fiction shows from the seventies, like, you know, space 1999 and even bigger budget stuff, you know, like alien, even, you know, star Wars, my gosh, you know, when Luke Skywalker looks through the macro binoculars or whatever they oh, call right. them, and they have that kind of, that kind of, they look like they've got like a, an analog, you know, CRT kind of look to them. Um, I, that, that to me is just one of those, one of those, those fun, those those fun nerdy uh, you know filmmaking yeah. things. So that, I've already I've already forgot what I've, how that diverged. <laughs> that's but that one was of not my, part of your original point. No but. no no, it's fine. But that's one of my favorite moments too. I think and it's in the Matrix trilogy. I think it's the I don't remember if it's the second or third one um, where uh, you know like somebody's like they're like they're like they're like piloting like the the hovercraft like through the tubes or whatever and the sentinels are coming after them and like and you see like the display they're looking at and it's just this like 2d wireframe with like little like wireframe triangles and stuff um you know and they have all this complex technology to like literally like take your consciousness and put you inside a machine but if you're like if you're like trying to target these things and shoot them like nah not sorry man i can give you these triangles that's it that's all i can do that that's you know and i wonder how i mean obviously the wachowskis are are you know they're they're like paying attention to detail you know oh Um, for sure um it it reminds me of um the death star schematics in the first star wars movie those were actually computer generated but it took some poor programmer like a month to do it because it was you know 
you know, doing a computer animation like that at the time was so slow. Um, oh, sure. It, it, and it was, and you know, you, you, you see it finished and it's just this really like, you know, it's a very, very basic, you know, it's a sphere with, you know, some lines on it. It's super simple, but it was, it was, it was, it was almost impossible yeah. for them to do that. But some poor bastards so back there like these... plugging away in Fortran. <laughs> Right, exactly, yeah, and 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 but but in in the context of the movie, they've got like you know like faster than light you know space travel, and they've got these really crappy computer <laughs> graphics. So so there's that, you know, I, I think that 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 kind of dichotomy there. It, now now I want to rewatch the Matrix um, and and pay more attention to the computer screens because you know uh, my wife and I just watched it. Um, I think it was on Netflix, so we just watched it like a couple months ago, but. But I'm, or, or did you say it was in like the third one that you were thinking it was, about? It was in the, yeah, it was in like the second or third. I don't, I don't, you know, the, the two okay, and three, okay. two and three kind of run together for me just because uh, they, they really do feel like, you know, sort of like one movie that was cut in half. But yeah, it was in, sure. it was in one of the sequels. I just, I just recently I'll, rewatched, uh, rewatched the whole trilogy with my kids, uh, like probably in the last like six or nine months or so. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, how, just out of curiosity, how old are your kids? I've seen you mention them on Twitter, but yeah. So about. I got I, I got two boys. They're they are twelve and fourteen, and they're they're you know they're going oh my on gosh. they're going on twenty seven. Uh, if <laughs> right, if you were to talk and, to and them. they're but I mean, you know, twelve and fourteen. That sounds like prime Matrix age. You know. Oh yeah, they loved it. Did they love it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. 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 Um, this is not one that I would recommend for them, but um, uh. <laughs> My wife and I just rewatched. Well, she hadn't seen it. Uh, have you ever seen Bound? The Wachowskis. I think it's their first feature. It's on my list. I know I've heard a lot about it, and uh, and I'm a big fan well, of the Wachowskis. I had seen so. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had seen it years ago. I mean, like years and years ago. I think it was on VHS even, and um, and I remembered liking it, and that's about all I remembered about it. And um, Stacy had been wanting to see it, and it's on HBO Max now. And um, she put it on Sunday, and I was like, Oh, yeah, cool. It's good. Good idea. I've been wanting to rewatch this, and um, I won't say anything about it since you haven't seen it. But I was just kind of blown away by them already. Or again, you know, because as as good as the Matrix is, they obviously had a lot of you know resources at their disposal on that one. Um, you right. know, Bound is lean and mean. It's just it's. Let let me know on Twitter after you watch it, um, and 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 we can talk about it then. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. It's 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 really great though. I, I will for sure. Yeah, I'm 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 a, I'm a big fan of the Wachowskis. I mean, I I love Speed Racer for God's sakes. I think I, I don't know, understand <laughs> like why people hate that movie so much because I think it's I think it's fucking amazing. And if you were if you were a fan. If you were some now, maybe it's just my age. Okay, if you were in college in the late '90s and uh, early 2000s, and you know, and you would hang out in dorm rooms and get high and watch, you know, Speed Racer uh, cartoons in your dorm room, right? Like, I don't know what else you could be expecting from a Speed Racer live action movie other than what we got. Well, and and honestly, um, and I'm a little old. I'm probably I was pro- I was in school in the early '90s, um, but. Um, I have tried to watch the the Wachowski Speed Racer movie a couple times, and it wasn't so much that I hated it. I just couldn't. I could tell that they were definitely doing a thing, and it was a specific thing, and it just it never. I, I could never get it to click with me, you know. So yeah. um, I know that it it, it it's it's got ser- plenty of people that I respect, you know, really love it. Um, you know, it's it's got its defenders, and and they're passionate about it, and. And I need to get another try. In, in all honesty, um, I've lately been rewatching um, every now and then. You know, uh, uh, Cartoon Network on weekends they show anime uh, late night. Yep. And I've never been able to understand anime. And every now and then I'll try one late at you know at 
two o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and it just, I'm like, I just, guys, I, the animation is beautiful and I don't understand the story. I cannot relate to this. I don't get it at all. But lately I've been rewatching um, old Speed Racer cartoons and old Battle of the Planets cartoons. And I think that might be my way into anime because those are like, you know, you can obviously see the, the, the Japanese style and everything, but but the stories are a little more Americanized, I guess. Okay. And, 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 and I'm thinking, all right, so so all right, I'm getting into this now, and so maybe I'll try like Akira or something next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I get it, I get it. It's yeah, it's it's definitely a style. They're definitely going for something. But uh, all right, so before we lose like the the entire the entire audience, uh, <laughs> now that like three people are, are left listening, but um, so I uh, there's this uh, there's this sort of like running theme, you know, sort of through throughout the movie that um. You know that they have established this base on Mars, and but but the only people that you have there are, uh, like you have like middle management types that really have no fucking idea what's going on, uh, and then mm-hmm. you have like you know sort of your like grunt work types, um, and and you know that's really it. I mean, you there, there's a whole scene where like where the the sort of the the micromanager Lisa of the whole group is like pestering the cook about his time reports um which you know sort of reminds me of like the office space scene where you know the guy's getting hassled about his cover sh- his TPS cover sheets and stuff that's just sort of all I could all I could take so I, I think that obvious that that sort of influence I think you know is kind of pretty clear to me but yeah, but then you know and we're talking about Jackson the the, the, the cook he, he kind of turned into a badass later um which it, which like reminds me of like a Steven Seagal movie or something where like you just you just cast somebody in the sort of <laughs> it was, unassuming role and then it was literally a, it was literally a Steve it was literally a Steven Seagal movie yeah um and 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 all you know I was really kind of torn on that because I felt like whoever the unlikely hero should be they needed to be unlikely um and I ended up going with the cook which I was like oh this is just like under siege and I'm like but you know I mean it's on Mars and there's this whole other thing going on so <laughs> so so yeah I but so yeah I'm guilty on that but I don't feel that bad about it. and I love under siege you know and so um um that was yeah there there's definitely there was definitely I realized that 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 was um that 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 was you know uh, going to be a comparison that people would make <laughs> Okay, so it's not just me. Uh, all right. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 that's completely fair and and accurate. I would say. Yeah. And and so and then you've got this whole dry sense of humor to this whole thing because all this weird, all this weird shit is happening. Um. But uh. But you know, Lisa seems kind of like I, I guess she's sort of you know, she's kind of the manager of this whole place, uh, and her biggest priorities are. Uh, like she wants to make the doors when they open and close. She wants to make them sound more like Star Trek. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and then at some point she gets you know she she gets uh she gets attacked by one of her own crew members and gets like imprisoned in a closet. And her biggest concern is like what forms do I need to fill out <laughs> because this happened. Yeah. It it it, it um and and that's you know I, I've been a. I've been a, a, a white collar, um, you know, drone for most of my, I mean, since I've been out of college, basically, you know, I've just, I've, I've worked in, in the computer industry and in, in different jobs for so many years now. And, um, and, you know, I've had, and I, and, you know, we've all had good bosses and bad bosses, I'm sure. And, um, and we've all had that micromanager who is more concerned about like, you know, 
about all the formalities and the paperwork more than they are about 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 getting anything done, you know. And and, and now that we're talking about it, I'm not sure. Um, you know, even in the movie, the characters that work at Mars Base One, they're like, yeah, I guess it's kind of cool that we're like, you know, living on Mars and everything. But what are we doing? You know, it's it's <laughs> like it's one of those companies in search of a. It's one of those. Those, those those companies in search of a of a of a meaning, I guess, or of a goal or whatever, you know, it's like, um, and of course, later in the movie, we'll find out that that the that the people who are kind of doing the workaday stuff on Mars Base Two are probably not what the company is really. They're probably not the people who are really earning for the company. Let's put it that way, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Ab- absolutely. Um, so. Uh, yeah, and uh, so we've got we've got all these you know, all this deadpan humor, the sort of kind of peppered throughout. Um, there's another one, one of my favorite jokes I think in the whole movie is when they get to Mars Base One, and you know they find the uh, the computer that's running Windows ninety eight, <laughs> and and the guy says, "Well, what's what, what's Windows ninety eight? And he's like, "I don't know. It's some operating system from like two thousand three." <laughs> and uh, credit so credit where it's due. Uh, Kyle Holman, who's the lead actor or one of the lead actors, he plays Jackson. Um, Kyle's Kyle, Kyle's a kind of a local legend around uh, Birmingham. Um, he's a he's a uh, he's a full time actor. He does he does theater. He does voiceover work. Um, there was a commercial that was sorry brief transgression. There was there was a, a commercial that uh, was running for one of those um, like schools where they teach like video game design and stuff like that. You know, and um, I'd saw the commercial a hundred times, and and every time I saw it, I was like, oh, they got Patrick Stewart from Star Trek to narrate this commercial. That's really cool. And like the hundred first time I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's not Patrick Stewart. That's my friend Kyle Holman doing his best Patrick Stewart impersonation. Um, oh wow! So um, yeah, yeah, he's um, he does um, like just he's 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 great at doing voices, but he also just does like general like in a world you know kind of voiceover stuff for different for different people um and everything anyways um so so Kyle was actually in sleepaway camp three um as well um so so he's he's like he's like our guy that's like that's been in the show you know he's been in the <laughs> in the in the in the big time like you know slasher franchise. Or in awesome. a big time slasher, yeah. Slasher I was, franchise, I'm, I I'm, say. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Sleepaway Camp two and three. Um, I think. Well, I think well, those movies well, are Kyle very plays, underrated. Uh, uh, Kyle plays Snowboy in Sleepaway Camp three. He's the one who says "Party All Night, Teenage Wasteland." You might remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was a lot. He was a lot that's younger and, and and skinnier <laughs> back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, so yeah, that's Kyle Holman. Uh, uh, like I said, uh, local local legend, great guy. Always, you know, always does our movies. Um, and, um, and, uh, we were, um, we were working that scene and I, I forgot how I'd written it in the script, but, but there was some not great joke about, you know, when, to me, it was just funny that they would still be running windows 95, you know, 200 years in the future, because <laughs> you know, if you know anything about computers, there are still computers today that are running windows 95. It was one of those operating right. systems that just wouldn't die, you know? Oh, oh my and God. And that was, that was. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I was gonna say I've been on the I've I've been on the uh, what do they call it? Um, it's like a cr- it's like a crawler or something. It's like this giant thing on tracks. They used to they used to use it like back in the eighties to carry the shuttle out from the the vehicle assembly yeah. building to the launch pad. I've actually been I, on that. I, um, 
I did yeah, like a press tour awesome. at at the Kennedy Space Center because it's 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 literally like like three minutes from my house. Um, oh well, my god, uh, that, that's right. I was I was in your neighborhood um, probably in January because we talked a little bit about it on Twitter. That's right. And, that's right. Um, and I didn't realize you were that close because my wife and I went to Kennedy just you know as, as tourists and everything. I'd never been and she hadn't been in years. And the whole thing was so cool. So we didn't we didn't get the ride on the crawler, but I know the I know they they showed us where the crawler ran and where the track was and all that kind of awesome yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I got to actually walk all around the crawler and we actually we got to go up inside the crawler and and yeah the computer on the crawler is is like running is still running like windows 95 or it was i don't i, <laughs> I just i just couldn't believe it uh it's it's amazing but well, like it's they can't things, it works yeah. and they can't you know like they don't want to upgrade yeah, it, it. It, <laughs> it does what it does yeah even, i mean the the space shuttles that were running that were flying up until i forgot the last launch was a few years ago you know the space shuttles had been running on um, some ancient computer with like 128k of memory or something like that because <laughs> that's what they were the way they were built. Yeah. And even though computers had improved in the in the outside world, well, the shuttle still needed the same. It still had the same requirements, you know. So they right. just kept those old, you know, tiny little computers in there. Um, all that being said, getting back to the credit where it's due. Um, I had to me the joke was just that Windows 95 was the operating system. And Kyle was the the was the one who said, "Hey, um, uh, uh, Michael's character. He should ask. He should say it's Windows ninety five, and then Jackson should ask him what the heck is Windows ninety five, and he should explain to him that it's an operating system from like two thousand three. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Kyle, that's so great, you know. So so yeah, so um, so so Kyle wrote that joke, even though um, he didn't get a screenwriting credit. Right, right. No, and that's and 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 that just fits with the you know with the humor of the whole the whole thing. There's there's that, and then there's the scene where, um, like one of the guys gets shot, and like they he finds like a can of fix a flat to like seal up his spacesuit. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that was that. I don't even remember how I came up with that joke, but I was you know just thinking about that that would probably work because you know it's a pressurized thing you know and and so so right. it, it, it was yeah it was it was and, and 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 of course when he gets shot you know he's like laying on the ground screaming and everything and then they realize oh it just went through the it didn't even you know it didn't even hit him it just went through the, the arm of the, of the spacesuit but um but as far as that kind of general you know dry humor goes um I, you know, I really love like the Christopher Guest movies, um, Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show. I don't know if you've seen those. You know, Spinal Tap, obviously, which you know Guest was in uh, with that Rob Reiner directed. Um, and you know, especially the, the, our first two movies, uh, you know, Hide and Creep that we've talked about before, and, and and Interplanetary. Those were very much me kind of kind of trying to 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 do horror and science fiction. You know, my approach to both those movies a lot was a lot of like, well, if Christopher Guest was making a zombie movie, what would he do? And if Christopher Guest was making, a, you know, Alien, you know, what would he do? And so, uh, not to say that that he works in a different, you know, his Christopher Guest's stuff is mostly improvised, so a lot of a lot of the jokes and the gags there are coming from the actors, but um, but but the tone there, there's a there's a good natured dry humor to those movies. Um, that's also kind of British, you know, it's not that different from, you know, like, um, like, like, you know, the British office TV show. Right. Right. Um, or say that, even that, like red that, dwarf, really... I think has been thrown out as a, as a comparison you know, to, I think red, I saw that somewhere. Yeah. 
And 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 I know that honestly, I've never really watched Red Dwarf. Um, I know of it, and people have compared Interplanetary to it, which makes me think, well, they're comparing. You know, I, I know it's a it's a popular show. You know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy would actually be my um, would be more my that that's one of the 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 British um, uh, franchises that that I'm a little bit more familiar with. Though the Hitchhikers the Hitchhikers books are 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 like like overtly funny, um, even though it's still dry, but, but they're like, you know, a laugh a minute as opposed to, um, like I said, doing more of a, you know, Christopher Guest sort of thing, or mm-hmm. even, you know, Dr. Strangelove, the Kubrick movie is one of my favorites. And, and there's a, there's a real, there's a real dry humor. And, and there's something about putting, putting, you know, even though they're astronauts and in interplanetary, they're all kind of like, you know, they're really just like, 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 like middle tier office people, you know, right. Uh, or even and, and and lower, you know, office drones, you know. So so the idea to me, the idea of having people that work at the that that work in an office doing some vague undefined duty, you know, having to deal with like you know monsters and assassins, is is inherently there's there's some inherent humor in there. Um, and 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 I tend to like movies movies like Alien where you've just got some space truckers who have to deal with an alien. I think that's a little more interesting than Aliens where you've got Marines dealing with aliens, you know. Yeah, Even though yeah. Aliens is great and everything. Well, and, and that's but the, with Aliens you're like they've got a shot. With the space truckers you're like, man, these guys are all dead, you know. Right. Well, and that's that's the reason that Alien works where like something like Prometheus doesn't cuz everyone on Prometheus is a scientist. And right, right, you know, with, right. with, with Alien, it kind of makes sense that they would make bad decisions because, you know, they're, they're this is not what oh they're set gosh. up for. Except um, for, you know, in this day and age when Ripley's saying, hey, if we don't quarantine, you could kill everybody. And, <laughs> and given that we're in a pandemic, it's like, you know, Ripley is like my spirit animal right now. You oh, know? but anyway, sorry. Yeah. I digress. No, no, no. That's that's uh, there's there's a great take about Alien, which is that, oh, this is the movie where nobody listens to the smart lady and therefore everyone dies. <laughs> it's a movie about it's a movie about the fallacy of the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I love this. And so, I, we haven't even gotten into the um the the, the special effects and the the because because this becomes a creature feature by the end. You've got this alien um, yeah, that yeah. shows up. Well, he's kind of there like throughout, but you don't really, you know, you don't really get to see him. You get, you, you kind of hold him back. Uh, for the finale and it looks legitimately cool i mean it's you know i mean it's again it's like this old it's like the star trek tv show and you know, i mean yeah it's a guy in a suit but it looks really cool and um you got a lot of special effects here with the eggs and stuff hatching and there's a lot of kills here that look that look really really good and it's all kind of packed in uh to to this finale which is kind of crazy um but yeah and, and it's one of those it's one of those things from from a pacing standpoint. Um, it, I, I guess it it kind of plays. Whenever I watch um, like Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, um, which is a I think a really solid slasher movie. It's it's part of the fun to me watching uh, well done slasher movies is how do you have the slasher killing a character every reel without the cops showing up thirty minutes into the movie? You know what I mean? Because right. if 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 the so, so not only does the slasher have to kill people, he has to do it in a way to, to, to scare the audience and also in a way that to not scare the other characters too early. Because if everybody's on to him, then, like I said, then the movie's over, you know, one way or the other, the movie's going to be over too early. And so with, with Interplanetary, I knew that, that we wanted, a, you know, I knew that I wanted it to turn into a creature feature by the end of it, but I was afraid that if 
if it started out that way, um, I, I didn't know if I could logically or it's a you know it's a, it's a silly movie to a degree. I didn't know if I could if I could if I could at least pay lip service to logically keeping the movie going. So that's why everything is kind of parsed out and and um, and and not to spoil too much for people who haven't seen it. But I, I feel like we're kind of um, we're kind of you know. This feels like a show that you're doing that's for people who have watched the movie and want to kind of get dig into it as opposed to people who, you know, don't know what we're talking about. But yeah, yeah but, absolutely. But the, there are some kill there are some kills other earlier in the movie that are due to to bad humans and and it's it's not just there are other the 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 heroes of the movie are having to deal with things other than this this alien that's running around, you know, killing everybody. Um all that said, um the alien itself um you know, I love the creature from the Black Lagoon and, and, and old episodes of Star Trek, you know, like the Gorn, uh, the lizard guy and it and everything. And um, the the doing the like full man in latex bodysuit, you know, was was a big, you know, big thing that we wanted to do on this movie. And we actually got our friend uh, Jonathan Thornton, who lives in Montgomery, Alabama, to, to, to do that. Um, and Jonathan is um, is a is, is a professional makeup guy. Um, he's done. um I, I couldn't. I, I'd have to look up his IMDb. He's he's done a lot of like 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 mid low budget mid budget uh, horror movies that people have heard of, you know. Um, and he still works out of Montgomery, or at least at the time he was. I haven't talked to him in a while. It's the time he was working out of Montgomery. So um, it was really cool. I told him that I was like looking for. I forget exactly how I described it. I think I mean, I'm going to go um, get way old school. Um, there's a movie called It: The Terror from Beyond Space. Have you ever heard of that one? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. It was. Uh, it's. It's really fun. Um, it's a black and white creature feature. It's very much. Um, it it kind of plays like a a nineteen fifties version of Alien. Um, these people go to this planet. Or they they have some smars actually, uh, to pick up a, a stranded astronaut, and they accidentally uh, pick up a, a a killer alien, and so he proceeds to kill everybody on the ship until they figure out how to you know defeat him, et cetera, et cetera. But um, for 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 nineteen fifties, the creature design on that one is pretty awesome. And so I told Jonathan Thornton, I was like, yeah, I'm looking for something kind of like halfway between the creature from a black lagoon and this thing from it, the terror from beyond space. And, um, and Jonathan's, I mean, and you've seen, you've seen the movie, so you know what he came up with. He, he sculpted, um, when he, when he, when he sent me a picture of the sculpt, I, I just about lost my mind because I mean, he's a, Jonathan's a very talented guy and I had never, I had not thought through the process of how he was going to make this thing. And the first thing that he did was he mold, he, he sculpted the, the the head you know out of like you know clay or whatever these guys do their their sculpts out of to like build the the, the latex mask around and he yeah. sent me the sculpt and i just i just it's it's it was it even in like just white clay it was gorgeous and then of course by the time he got the suit made and he painted it and and did all that stuff um yeah it, it's it's a real it it's it, it's 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 if if I ever work with anything that cool in a movie again I'll be surprised you know it was really neat to have our own like you know custom-made creature for, for for our science fiction opus yeah yeah that's really that's really cool and it's uh it's a really cool creature design uh i think it i mean i think it fits you know sort of the tone uh of the movie overall and you get a lot of you get a lot of mileage out of it you know, once you sort of get to that uh, once you kind of kind of get to the final act um you know the whole thing is is a lot of fun i feel like tonally it's it's really, you know, sort of, you know, sort of consistent from start to finish. 
Um, and, and it has a really, I mean, and, and it really kind of plays like a dark comedy because you have this, you have this bleak, bleak ending. That's really, really funny. Um, and just, you know, just well, in case, yeah, there, I haven't got, I won't like kind of give the whole ending away, but, uh, you know, that, that, that whole thing is just hilarious to me. Yeah. And, 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 um, the, I went through a few drafts of the script and I can't remember that was not always the ending, but, but whenever I came up with, with, with the ending you're talking about and, and, you know, it ends on a, it ends on a pro, it ends on a, a, a profanity that is censored because of the way the equipment works in the movie, <laughs> not because it was censored, which is, right. which is its own, that that's its own story. That's a whole joke. That yeah. was actually, that's a whole joke. Yeah. The, I had a, um, there was a, um, one of the places I was working one time, they had started putting they put an email filter in where if you uh, sent an email to somebody that said, you know, what the shit, it would just like the email would not go through. It, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't censor the email. It would literally just like stop the email. And, and and the idea was it was supposed to like help cut down on spam and stuff. But, you know, sometimes people in an office that are friends might, you know, say something baldy to each other, something that's not exactly, you know, uh, corporate approved or whatever. And so, so I just thought that was so, uh, you know, obscene or not obscene, but um, just that seemed again, like a, like a micromanaging sort of thing. And then I thought, oh, well, what if we took it to the next step? And then we had like, you know, the company telephones basically like, 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 like bleeping out your profanity on the fly. So if you were, whenever you were trying to call somebody, you know, any conversation was automatically made G rated because anything, you know any S bombs or F bombs that came through would be, would be, would be literally be bleeped out, you know? And, and then I realized that that would, you know, play, um, to, to me, um, I don't know. There's something fun about, um, I, I think that last line in the movie being bleeped out like that plays funnier, um, than it would if, you know, we heard what he said, if that makes any sense. And it yeah. won't make any sense to people who haven't seen the movie. So maybe that will make, encourage people to go check out the movie. No, no, absolutely. That little bit of a tease. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, the, the, the I, honestly, I feel like that the comedy, I still feel like as a director, I'm stronger at comedy than, than, than true horror. You know, um, I, I, I try every time we do something to like get better at like doing, doing, uh, good, you know, suspense scenes, but, but it, it's hard. I mean, filmmaking is hard in general. Um, suspense is hard. For me, I'm a little more comfortable with comedy. Um, I, I, I think it, and I think too that that if you're, again, my opinion, um, if you're working with less experienced actors, we we're lucky to work with guys like Kyle who are like 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 professional actors who act for a living, and then we've got guys, you know, because we're, we're we're low budget and we all kind of came up together. We got guys who 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 don't really act much unless they're acting in one of our movies, and um. And, and and to me it's a little easy to get easier to get good dry comedy out of, of less experienced actors than it is to get like serious drama, you know. And and I don't know if, 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 if other directors would agree with that, but but that's just that's just my kind of my wheelhouse, you know, so that's where I'm comfortable. And um and but but it's but, but comedy is obviously super subjective and it's always nice to hear people, you know, get the joke. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and and it's definitely right up my alley. I love that kind of, I love the kind of dry humor, and you're doing some more of that in uh, in for a few zombies more. Um, I think that's that's a really fun one. So let's let's talk about real quick because I think we, um, you know, we we kind of mentioned 
we talked a lot about this movie. I think people should definitely check it out, especially if you're into that sort of the, that dry humor and, you know, kind of that, 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 that British humor. Um, I think there's a lot of those sensibilities here, but done in, you know, sort of an American, you know, kind of, kind of Southern style. Um, so this is available on, uh, on, on Amazon, on prime video. Um, but, uh, can we, can we talk about the, uh, you, you want to talk about the Blu-ray a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, the, the movie, um, when it first came out on uh, DVD, it came out with a great uh, company out of New Jersey called Shakarama, um, that has, that they've done tons of movies. Um, and, um, they're super great guys. Um, and but but they just did uh, at the time, Blu-ray was still really new, and uh, and they just did a DVD release. And we got the, and that contract ran five or seven years, however long it ran. And we got the rights back a couple of years back. And um, I just did a new Blu-ray um, that we were selling at like uh, conventions and stuff like that. That's got I think it's got three commentary tracks. <laughs> I think it's got the original track that that me and my um, my wife slash producer and my buddy John slash producer did, and then it's got a track with me and Chuck. Um, Chuck's the lead act or one of the lead actors in Interplanetary, and he also is a director. Uh, he and I directed. Uh, he actually he and I actually directed our other two features together. So this was the. Interplanetary is my only movie that I've solo directed, um, as far as that goes. And uh, so, but he and I. Always, I always tell Chuck and I always joke that our favorite part of the filmmaking process is when we get the movie done and we get to sit down and drink some beer and, and record the commentary track, you know. <laughs> and um, and my friend um, Chris Vanderkay, who is a uh, a filmmaker and also a bit of a uh, a film of uh, uh, um uh, what's the word um for uh, he like teaches like film type stuff in college um um an academic a film academic. Uh, Chris did a scholarly commentary uh, track just for the Blu-ray, so that was new for that. And it's really um, he really digs into it. It's 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 just so nice that he was that he was willing to do it for for our movie. And and he talks a lot about just how interplanetary kind of fits in the grand scheme of horror movies and science fiction movies and that sort of thing. It's it's a lot of fun. So it's got some commentary tracks on it and like a deleted scene. And I think that's about it. We didn't. The we didn't even talk about the the fact that interplanetary took like oh, I think we spent like three and a half years making it. It was a really really. Oh, di- wow. I don't know if it's obvious from I don't I don't know if it's obvious on screen, but it was a difficult shoot. <laughs> <laughs> it was like like I said, we were in over our heads in uh, we were in over our heads in in several places, and it was really it was really tough. So that being said, for all the time we spent on it, you know, we should have made like a five hour documentary about making it. And, and, and we, and we probably got footage of, uh, of that sort of thing, but, but nobody's ever edited that together. So, but anyways, all that stuff is on the Blu-ray and, um, I'm in the process of, um, I basically I've got I've got all the materials together. I've just got to get them submitted to Amazon so they can do the, the video on demand thing that Amazon does. So hopefully by the time, uh, your, this podcast airs, uh, you know, we'll have it um, on Amazon. And at that point, though, you can just, um, I'm sure if you go to Amazon and search, you know, interplanetary Blu-ray, it'll, it'll pop up in the, in the search results. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I absolutely think, uh, I think people should, uh, should check it out. And, uh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds amazing. I'm really, uh, really excited for that. Um, so Chance, listen, I really appreciate you, um, you know, making, making yourself available this evening. I know you got a lot of things going on this week. Uh, as we're as we're recording this, I think you've got a film festival uh, going on uh, this weekend. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, our favorite, uh, we're in Birmingham, Alabama, and you're talking about uh, our mutual friend Jeremy. Um, Jeremy and I are both uh, big uh, supporters of the Sidewalk uh, Film Festival. It's in its little 20-something year. It's been, it's actually, yeah, it's like 21st, 22nd year. Um, I kind of, Sidewalk is kind of responsible for, for, for me and my guys making movies because we started going to the festival in the early 2000s before there was a YouTube or anything like that, you know, so that having a local festival that we could maybe make a movie and submit it to kind of inspired us to, to, to wait, start. Wait, 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 you're, you're saying that there was a before YouTube? <laughs> For the youngsters <laughs> out there, there was a time when you would make a short film and there was nowhere to, there was nowhere to show it because there was no YouTube, there was no Vimeo, there was no TikTok. Yeah, you, um, you literally had so, to take a VHS tape and just give it to somebody and hope they watched it. I think that's how the yeah, Blair Witch it, Project got distributed originally. Yeah, yeah, it was either it was either that or um or 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 you would have you know film festivals and um yeah it was it was it was so funny uh, Chuck and I that like that 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 I make films with a lot. Um, he and I were friends um, for years and, and we had always talked about maybe making a movie one day. You know, we were all inspired by, you know, Kevin Smith and uh, Rodriguez, all the guys who had kind of, uh, kind of broke out of the like super low budget thing. And the, that would have been in the mid nineties, early nineties. Um, yep. And we had talked about maybe trying to follow in those guys footsteps and, and, and we just never, we we kept talking about it, you know, and we finally, when, when Birmingham got its own film festival and we went to that first one, we were like, wow, we could make a movie and people might see it, you know? And, um, and I think by the third year, I think we had our first short in. Um, and so we kind of, we kind of, we, we grew up, Chuck and I grew Chuck and I and Stacy and, and all our guys, you know, we grew up with the festival. Um, so, so the festival's in its 20th year and I'm in my like, oh, uh, you know, 50th or whatever. <laughs> um, but, um, but this year because of the pandemic, um, there, there, there's a local drive-in, um, and they're, they're doing the festival there. So, um, so they're showing some new stuff. Uh, I'm really excited. They're showing Halloween, the original Halloween Sunday night as like oh, one of the cool. closing night films. And I've 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 never seen that on a on a big screen, and I feel like Halloween at a at a movie theater or at a drive-in, excuse me, just seems like really cool. And um and also um they're showing the '80s classic Night of the Comet um one night, which I'm excited about. And my wife and I are sponsoring that screening, so um so uh we 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 donate a little money to uh to the festival and. They were nice enough to to let us be the presenters on Night of the Comet, so that'll be a that'll be a fun retro screening that we're excited about too. So, um, so yeah. Now, the, all that being said, there's also aside from a pandemic, there's a hurricane um, blowing up uh, these these parts. So I yep. don't know if you can have a drive-in movie if it's raining too hard. <laughs> so uh, we've all seen so we Twister, might get right? Out a couple nights. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, let's hope it doesn't get like that. But I'm just thinking, you know, if it's raining too hard, then you know you got your windshield wipers going and and the screen and everything. So that could be a mess. But Hopefully we'll get some good weather at least a couple of the nights, you know, and uh, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but um, but yeah, excited, always excited to have uh, another another Sidewalk uh, Film Festival. It's always a good time. Um, if uh, uh, any folks that might be listening that are in the that are within a couple hours from Birmingham, uh, if you can't make it this year, you should definitely check it out uh, next year when hopefully we'll be back to normal and be showing movies in theaters and stuff like the good old days. Yeah, yeah, guy, we can we can hope, right? Uh, Chance, I really appreciate it. I uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I know. Hopefully, the listeners appreciate it. Um, 
everyone listening, please check out uh, check out Interplanetary. Um, uh, you know, check it out. You can check it out on Amazon. Uh, you can stream it uh, for for a few zombies more. Uh, you know, Chance's first film, Hide and Creep. Uh, they're all out there. Uh, really funny stuff. Um, you know, just really. Uh, you know, really good sort of, um, you know, homage to, you know, sort of classic filmmaking and, you know, just, just the exact kind of thing that, uh, you know, this podcast was created for. So Chance, thank you very much for, for being on. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks. Do it again. And, and, you know, and, and thank you for doing a podcast about, about modern horror movies. That's, that's, that's really cool. When, when, and myself included, when we're all guilty of occasionally, you know, leaning too much on nostalgia. It's really cool to me that 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 there are people who are who are passionate about you know like like new stuff because we need new stuff because you know we we new stuff is important. New stuff is good. And and I and I know that I get excited um, when I see a new horror movie that that gives me. You know, it's fun to watch the thing for the 500th time, but it's really fun to see a new horror movie just kind of come out of left field and like kind of smack you. You know, that you're not expecting. It, it's 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 a real it's a real thrill, and I'm glad that you guys are, are, are kind of kind of reminding people of that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks uh, thanks very much, and uh, thank you uh, thank you everyone that's uh, listening. And uh, until next time, this has been uh, Patrick Anderson with uh, writer director uh, Chance Shirley, and this is not suitable for anyone.